And then let's get into the word and see what Jesus has for us. Father, we just uh, come before you today and we thank you. God, you're so good and we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your grace and your love and your forgiveness and and the freedom that you want to bring us. And so, Father, tonight I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would hear your voice, that we would know how we are supposed to apply what you what you say in your word, and that you would empower us to walk out of here and actually do what your word says. So, Father, we love you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen. So, something about me, if you don't know me, um, I, this is kind of funny because sometimes it gets me in trouble, but I absolutely love movies. I like, I'm kind of a movie junkie and I'm like, oh, this one looks great. And then I'm like, whoa, this is not a good movie. Got to turn that one off. Like, whoops, um, made a mistake there. But I watched one of the best movies. It's like one of the greatest movies ever um, a couple weeks ago. And if you know me, you're thinking, oh, it's Heavyweights, which is an incredible movie, um, Ben Stiller, old school movie, you got to watch it if you haven't, Heavyweights, or if you think, and, oh, it's got to be Lord of the Rings, because that's also one of my favorites, but it's not one of those two that I'm talking about tonight. What I watched a couple weeks ago was Dennis the Menace. Have any, has anybody seen Dennis the Menace? And if you turn around, there's actually a picture. I don't know why it didn't turn up there, but there's Dennis the Menace. And <laughs> he's kind of a crazy, cute little kid that just causes chaos. And so Dennis the Menace, there's this scene where he's in the bathtub and there's some... Um, there's a babysitter there, and the babysitter cannot read, but he's attempting to read to him. And then he says, are you done yet, man? And Dennis stops playing, and he pulls his hands out of the bubbles, and he says, I'm not even wrinkled yet. Keep reading. And I just love that scene. It's what, like one of my favorites, and that's what I always think when I'm giving Coop a bath. It's like, are you wrinkly yet, right? And here's the thing. Today, like, have any of you actually been in a hot tub or a tub too long where your hands or your feet have actually gotten wrinkly? Anybody? Or, okay, there's a, there's a few of us in the room. And so today I want to ask, though, what kind of wrinkles are we getting in life? I'm not talking about physical wrinkles, because here's the thing. What we spend our time in, what we soak in, what we think about, what we listen to, what we do, what we talk about, all of those things affect who we are and affect where we end up. They kind of give us life wrinkles. And so today I want to ask, what kind of wrinkles do you have? Where are you soaking it? Where are you spending your time? What are you listening to, thinking about, and doing? Because God's actually really concerned about those things. And he talks a lot about that in scripture because he's concerned about where we end up. And our decisions to spend time in certain areas today affect where we end up tomorrow and, and years down the road. See, Jesus, he, it says that he came to give us life and life to the full. Life abundantly. And so today I want, I actually want to look at how do we live a life that actually leads to freedom, that leads to this full life. How do we spend our time? What are we soaking in? What are we uh, abiding in? What's affecting us? What kind of wrinkles do we have? And so if you want to flip in your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 8 today. Um, John chapter 8, verse 31, and I'm only going to look at a few verses in this passage, but it's part of a larger story, part of a larger narrative, and it actually starts in chapter 7, 
and it goes to the end of chapter 8, and Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's at the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, where, where they celebrated, the Jews celebrated coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, and at this time, Jesus is making some really provocative statements about who he is. He's claiming some things that are astronomical <laughs> to the people that are listening, and, and he's doing it at a time when they're actually, like, he says at one point, if you're thirsty, come to me and I will give you living waters. And it's funny because during this festival, they actually have a procession every day of a water libation or sacrifice, celebrating when they came out of Egypt and there was water provided from the rock. And so Jesus says, I will give you living waters though that you'll never thirst again. And then also during this festival, every night they light a candelabra to, to signify the, the fire, the pillar of fire that led them through the desert. And then Jesus, he actually stands up at this festival and he says, I am the light of the world. See, his declarations are so provoking because what he's doing, he's saying, he's saying I am God. That's basically what he's saying. And so the Jews are kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And they're having lots of discussions about Jesus' identity. And then we get to verse 31, and that's where we're going to pick it up um, in the scriptures. And it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, because many people were coming to believe who he was, as he was as he was declaring and teaching who he was, he's turned to them and said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many of you guys have heard this, this passage before? Okay, how many of you have quoted it? Because that, let's be honest, a lot of us Christians, we love to quote, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and it's an incredible passage to actually quote and proclaim, but sometimes we focus it on, on phrases or declarations in the Bible, and we kind of miss the qualifying statement either before or after. Did you notice what Jesus said before that, though? He turned to people who had believed in him, and he says, if you abide in my word... You are truly my, dis my disciples. If you abide in my word, see that's the qualifying statement that allows us to cling to then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what does that word abide? You know, I'm reading from the ESV, which has a little bit more of a literal translation of the Greek. And in the New Test, or in the NLT or the NIV, it says, if you hold faithful to my teachings or you hold on to my teachings, basically, if you practice what I say or if you are faithful to these things, uh, then you're truly my disciples. But this idea of remain is actually a really significant word in the Gospel of John and even the other letters that John wrote. And it's this idea to abide, to, if you, if you read John chapter 15, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can't bear fruit, right? And so this idea of remaining, it's this idea of actually sitting in, soaking in, becoming like, being permeated by, until you live like Jesus, it's being part of, connected to Jesus. And so Jesus here is, Looking at, his, looking at people who believed in him. And he says, if you remain or abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. 
And then he carries on to say, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But it requires spending time in the word. It requires spending time in Jesus' word. And obviously, what is Jesus' word? Well, it's what he taught in the Gospels. That's what we find in those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what he actually taught. But then Jesus also is claiming, I am God. And he proved that he was God by his death and resurrection. And what was God's word? Well, God's word is all of this book, the Bible. It's all of the teaching of scripture. And so Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word in my Bible, if you spend time here, remain in it, soak in it, be permeated by it, that means, that's a distinguishing um, characteristic of being my disciple. But you need to spend time here. And then you can cling to that truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does it practically look like to, to abide in his word? What does it look like and, and how does that even lead to freedom? Well, first Jesus says, then you will know the truth, right? You will know the truth. And it's funny because different colleges and universities, they engrave that, that passage in their campus, somewhere on their campus, but they kind of miss the idea and the context because Jesus isn't just saying that it's knowledge, about something, and that's what these colleges have, have taken it as, as a philosophical idea or knowledge about something, and that knowledge will set you free. But Jesus, there, there's so much deeper than that, because in the Gospel of John, it's actually really cool. I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of John. It is intricately written, and there's lots of different themes, light and darkness, and um, believing is actually a really big theme there, but one of the big themes as well is truth. And so when you read and you notice how many times John talks about truth, it's really significant. And at the end of the book, when Jesus is being interrogated by Pilate, Jesus says that I have come to bear witness to the truth. I've come to tell you the truth. And Pilate kind of asks rhetorically, but almost just to himself and doesn't really want an answer, but he says, what is truth? What is truth? And you know, I think it's actually a significant question that rings true for all of us, and we all wonder, every single person wonders deep within them, what is truth? What are, whether we actually seek it out and put in some effort, because a lot of times I think we actually stuff that question because we're scared of what we'll find out, or we just don't want to put in the work to discover what the truth is. And you know, we live in a culture right now where we're trying to dismantle this concept of truth. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago um, between two pastors, and one lives in Portland, which is a very progressive, secularized place, and he says, I would be rich if I had a penny for every time I heard the phrase, my truth, because he says, that does not even make sense, that phrase. It's oxymoronic because truth in and of itself, its definition is objective. Therefore, if truth is true, if something is true, it is true for you, it is true for me, it is true always, and it is above us in a sense. And so to put this possessive word, my, in front of truth, it does not make sense because there is no such thing as my truth and your truth unless you totally change the definition of truth. But how many times do we hear phrases like that? Well, that's true for you. Or you do you. 
or um, I love this one, there is no subjective, or there is no absolute truth. When it's like, you know that you are actually proclaiming an absolute, but you're saying that there are no absolutes. You're saying, <laughs> there are no absolutes, but I'm making an absolute statement. Like, it's just interesting because we, we want to totally dismantle truth and that concept today in our culture. And what that has caused is a lot of skepticism about everything, especially spiritual things, especially the Bible. We don't know if it's trustworthy. We don't know if it's true. We don't know if what's in there is actually real. But I'd encourage you, if you're a skeptic today, if you're not quite sure about this book and if you can trust it, I'd encourage you to do some research. Because when you start diving into it, every, almost every historian will say that Jesus was a real man who lived and probably died and probably even rose again based on the facts of history what you can find from extra-biblical sources. And he completely, radically transformed this world. And not only that, but when you look into the research as to how this book was put together, and the manuscripts that we have, and the amount of manuscripts, and the, the differences in them that are actually negligible, and, and the amount of time that had passed from when it was written, and the earliest manuscript that we have. Like, there is no room for the critics. Their, their arguments that this book is not trustworthy. It is completely trustworthy. And so what it declares is that Jesus is God, he did die, he did rise again, and he did that for us so that we can have a relationship with God. So Jesus in chapter eight, he's, or John chapter eight, he says, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word, the whole teaching of scripture, and you will know the truth. But truth is so much deeper than just knowing about something. See, it's something, it's funny because in John's gospel, this theme of truth that keeps coming out, in John chapter 14, Jesus actually declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. And he's saying, hey, if you spend time in my word, you will get to know the truth, not only about me, that I am God, that I love you, that I died for you, that I rise for you, and that I still intercede on your behalf. Not only will you know that about me, but you'll actually have a relationship with me. You'll experience me. You'll experience God having this relationship with Jesus and he says, you will know the truth, and I am the truth, and I will set you free. So how do we have a relationship with God, though? You know, obviously, like I've been saying, starts here. Starts by spending time in the Bible, and every relationship takes a little bit of effort. Takes a little bit of time. You know, Trevor and I were talking even recently, and it's like, what does a great marriage look like, and how do we get there so that 20 years down the road, we still like each other, <laughs> you know? Because let's be honest, great marriages don't just happen. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of love, a lot of forgiveness, right? It takes some time and discipline and effort to, to have a great marriage. They don't just happen 
And it, when it comes to our relationship with God, we, we like to think that it's mystical and magical and it'll just be great and we don't have to put in any effort or discipline or time. The only mystical and magical relationships that I know of are in Disney movies. And that's not reality. It doesn't happen like that. We actually have to put in some time. And so uh, are we abiding in the word? You know, 10 minutes a day. Get up 10 minutes earlier. Read one chapter a day or get the Bible app. Have the verse of the day sent to you. Get into some devotionals that are on the Bible app. Or read the, the reading plan that we have here at the church to read through the Bible in a year. You know, I love it. Some of our high school students are reading through the Bible in a year. Some of our middle school students I'm hearing are actually reading the Bible every single night. And I'm like, yes, they're abiding in the word. And when we do that, we fall in love with Jesus even more. We get to know him and develop that relationship with him. It takes a little bit of effort though. And so why don't we? A lot of times, it's because we don't know how good God is. Because if we actually knew how good God is, there's nothing that would keep us away from spending time in the word. Other reasons why we don't spend time in the word it's because we're kind of lazy and undisciplined as a culture. <laughs> we make excuses, and it's funny because I hear people say, I know it's no excuse, but I'm really busy. And I'm like, you literally said that it's no excuse and then used it as an excuse anyways. Why don't we just get into the word? We all have the same amount of time, but we make a decision on how we spend our time. Are we going to spend time in the word? Another reason why I don't think we spend time in the word is because we don't realize the outcomes that could come. Jesus continues on, and he keeps saying, or he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, you will know me, and then that truth will set you free. See, we don't know the freedom that could be on the other side of spending time in the word, of getting wrinkly, because we've spent so much time abiding and soaking in Jesus' word. We don't realize what freedom is available to us. And so we actually end up living like slaves. If, if we keep reading, it's funny because this is what the Jews actually get really offended by. In verse 33, listen to it. And it says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's really funny because the Jews literally had been enslaved for most of their history. To the Egyptians, after the Egyptians, during the time of the judges, they were in subjugation to lots of different nations. And then you think about the exile, and they were, in, they were enslaved, literally taken out of their land by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians. And at this current time in history, when Jesus is talking, they are under the Roman rule. And yet the Jews take offense and say, how can you say that we're not free? We have never been enslaved to anybody. Um, what? You guys are delusional, right? Like, <laughs> they, they don't get it. They completely miss the point that Jesus is talking about, though. Because Jesus isn't just talking about a national enslavement. He's talking about something that's personal and way deeper and way more meaningful and important. 
Because as you keep reading, this is what Jesus replies with. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, what Jesus is talking about is freedom from sin. Earlier in this chapter, he says you're going to die in your sins. He says it a few times in chapter 8. And here he's saying, but if you come to me, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free and free from what? Free from sin. And this is why Jesus came to earth. He was 100% God, 100% man, and he came and he walked and he was sinless because he came to make sacrifice for our sins. And what are the consequences of sins? It is death. The penalty you and I should have paid and should pay for our sin is death. And Jesus said, I'm going to pay it. And that's why he went to the cross. But he did not stay dead. He conquered death, he conquered sin, and conquered death, and rose again, and he sets us free from sin and its consequences, namely, from death. We do not have to fear death anymore, because Jesus died in our place. Now, we still experience physical death, but it does not have to, we do not have to be afraid of it, Because when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we have put our trust in him, saying, you are my Lord, I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for forgiving me. When we say those things and declare those things, we can be certain that when we die here, we are entered into glory, eternal life, everlasting life with our Savior, where there's no more tears, no more death, no more dying or crying or anything like that. You know, three months ago, um, my mom's from a big family, and there's 32 of us first cousins. And three months ago, my youngest cousin, who was 16, was killed in a farming accident. And it it was devastating. The funeral was just, uh, there aren't words. And yet, even though it was, um, it was and still is devastating, there's hope. Because Matthew actually knew Jesus and he put his trust in Jesus, and he was trying to figure out what does it look like to live for Jesus as a farm kid, as a football player? What does it look like? And at that funeral, it was packed full of the community members and tons of farming people, and, and, and his whole football team was there, and even though it was terribly sad, it was incredible because there was hope. Because the gospel was preached where it says we do not have to fear death anymore. We can look at death and say, where is your sting? Because Jesus conquered sin and death. And he offers us freedom from sin and death. You know, there's this song by Jesus Culture. And and one of the um, main singers wrote this song. And he shares before he sings it that um, he actually lost his son. And they were praying and hoping for a miracle and believing for a miracle, and they never got it. And it it really challenged them to think through, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to cling to this, what's written in here? Are we going to believe that this is true, or are we going to walk away? 
And he says, we, had to re- we, we came to this point where we know that it's true and we still have to declare it even though we didn't see it. And he writes this song where he says, I believe in you, I believe in you, you are the God of miracles. He didn't experience the miracle that he was hoping for, but he still believed and he declared it. That's what it looks like to abide in the word. See, if we soak in the word, it actually prepares us for when we face situations like this, where we can stand up and say, no, I know that I know that I know God is good. God is loving. He does have a plan. He does have a purpose, even when I don't understand it. Because I know that he died for me and he loves me. But it takes time and effort to develop a relationship with him, to spend time in his word. But that's not the only thing that Jesus sets us free from in regards to sin. Like, like yes, he sets us free from this fear of death, but he also sets us free from sin today and its consequences, and he gives us a new identity. You know, I love it because he uses this analogy between slave, a slave or a son or a daughter. And he says, um, a slave has no place in the home. They, they are not a permanent fixture. They don't have, they could be sold off. They, could, they don't have any um, authority or inheritance in the family. Whereas a son or a daughter, they have the authority of the father. They, ha- they are loved. They have a place. They belong. And Jesus says, who the son sets free will be free indeed. And Jesus is the son. And he's saying, I set you free. If you know me, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, and you can become a child of God. In John chapter 1, this is what it says. He gave us the right to become children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, See what kind of, the, a kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. See, Jesus came to set us free from sin, to give us a new identity so that we are no longer a slave, but we're actually children of God, and that's what we sang tonight. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's the truth. And when we walk out in that, we get to walk in a new identity. Where sin has no claim on us. You know, it's interesting because when Jesus actually walked on this earth, the enemy tried to attack his identity. He says, if you are the son of God. Here's the thing. Jesus knew that he was and he did not have to prove it to anybody. (laughs) When, When we actually grasp it, man, there is such freedom. But I notice that the enemy wants to attack our identities as well. He wants to tell us lies about who we are. He wants to throw labels on us from our culture. And I, you know, I really see this attack taking place specifically on our young people and their, their identity as children of God. And there's two ways in particular, I think there's many ways, but two ways that I want to mention. One is with mental illness. And I'm not saying that mental illness isn't a legitimate thing. It is. It happens People wrestle with different things, with anxiety, depression, bipolar, whatever it is. It is real. But here's the thing. In our culture, we tend to take on those labels and say, 
I have anxiety, I am depressed, I am bipolar, and we let those things define us rather than being defined by God and our relationship with him. I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the most high God. Here's the thing. I don't know, maybe you guys struggle with some mental illness or or something, or maybe you wrestle with anxiety and different things that are happening today. What I do know is that if you adopt that label, you will struggle with it for the rest of your life. It will always be part of you. But here's what I'm wondering. What would happen if we started to abide in the word and we started to declare the truth that Jesus says about us, that I'm his child, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm, I'm, he has good plans for me, he loves to give good gifts to me. He, he de- a delights in me and sings over me. What would happen if we started declaring those things? I wonder, maybe we might experience some freedom. I don't know, but I think it's worth a shot. <laughs> because here's the thing, we got to put in a little bit of effort in every aspect of our life <laughs> to fight for the freedom that Jesus has already given us. You know, even Jim Carrey, who's an atheist, he makes this quote, and he says that we got to put in some effort. He says, I believe depression is legitimate, but I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious foods, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, which I would say soak in the word, and, fu- and surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. Even an atheist says we need to fight for our freedom from depression. What would happen if we abided in God's word? Maybe we'd experience some freedom from depression, from anxiety. I I don't know, but I think it might be worth it to try it. Another way that I see a huge attack on our young people and their identity as, as children of God is in their sexual identity. I see kids over and over again taking on sexual orientations um, as their identity very young. And the thing is, is that um, our sexual orientation is one aspect of us. It is not supposed to define us. Heterosexual, homosexual, those things are not supposed to define us. What's supposed to define us is my relationship with the Father, and he says that I am his kid. And here's the thing, I have friends who actually were homosexuals, and live that lifestyle for many years. And then they came to know Jesus, and Jesus absolutely rocked their lives, and they fell so in love with Jesus. And they started to take every thought captive. And now, years later, after fighting for their freedom, the freedom that Jesus gave them, they're free from that, from those sexual orientations. Like, What I'm saying is, what would happen if we actually spent time in the word, we believed it, we declared it over our lives, what freedom we might have. But sometimes we're just a little bit too lazy and a little bit too undisciplined to actually put in the time and therefore we forsake the freedom that Jesus died to give us. What kind of freedom are we missing out on? Jesus says, I, who the son sets free is free indeed. You can be a child of God. We need to grasp it though. We need to live in it. We need to soak in here until it becomes real 
in our actual day-to-day lives. But the enemy didn't just attack Jesus' identity. He actually attacked and tempted him. And he tried to trip Jesus up. And how did Jesus actually stand up and, and fight temptation? He knew the word. Even though the enemy was quoting scripture too, he was twisting it just a little bit. And Jesus could tell and he says, no, this is what it says. You're missing the point, Satan. You know, it's funny, a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago, I got a text from somebody and it was a, like a meme or a statement that they had seen on Instagram or something. And they texted it to me and they said, is this true? And immediately what went through my mind was, if you were in the word, you would know if it's true or not. But if you're not in the word, how can you discern truth from lies? If we're not in the word, how can we use it when temptation comes our way? How can we stand? How can we use the sword of the spirit if we're never in it? We need to be in it to actually stand up and become victorious over temptation. And you know what? When we give in to temptation, it actually produces a lifestyle of of bondage. And that's what Jesus was talking about, that idea of being enslaved. You know, Jesus, when he says, this hit me so much while I was reading this. It says, um, anyone or everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin. You know what? I'm not a good basketball player uh, because I'm really short, but I was on a great basketball team when I was in high school and and even elementary school. And we would practice two hours a day if we, except for Sundays or game days. And we would practice relentlessly passing and dribbling and shooting and layups and breakouts and blah, 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 blah. All of this stuff. And why do you practice something? It's so that when you're in the game when it actually matters, when it actually counts, you don't have to think about what to do. You do it automatically. It's a habit. Jesus is saying, hey, if you make a habit out of sin, it actually entraps you and it enslaves you and you become in bondage to this thing. That's what addiction is. It's, it's a habit of sin that now has you in bondage. But when we abide in the word, it can actually give us the power to stand up, say no to addiction, or no to temptation, and set us free from addiction. And I've watched it, and addiction can look in many different ways. There can be addiction to, to swearing or disobeying our parents. And, and, but I've seen people literally set free from pornography. I've seen them set free from drug addictions. I've seen people set free from incredibly bonding enslaving addictions. And here's the thing, a lot of times there can be a miraculous freedom that we experience from addiction, but we still gotta walk it out the next day. And we still have to decide to actually follow through and say no and change our lives to make a habit of righteousness instead of practicing sin that leads to enslavement. Righteousness leads to freedom. It's funny, uh, my husband and I were talking about change a, a little while ago, and he had listened to this podcast where it says, the, the person talking and presenting said, um, change happens in an instant. And that's kind of a shocking statement, because we're like, wait, what? No, change doesn't just happen in an instant. But what he's getting at is that you make a decision to change, and that happens in an instant. 
But then we have to continue to make that change. And we have to, it takes time to get used to those changes. It takes time to, to make a habit of those changes. But that change happens in an instant. If you want freedom from addiction, it takes changing, making the decision, and then continuing to walk out in that, even when you don't feel like it. You know, I have a lot of people pr- ask me for prayer. Um, and recently, I, I hear this a lot. Can you pray for motivation for me to get into the Bible, to, to stop with this addiction to porn or whatever it is? You know, they want prayer for motivation. But the thing about motivation is that it's just for a season and it ends. It's like a rah-rah and then tomorrow it's like, yeah, I don't really feel like that anymore. And we don't, we don't continue with it. So what I've stopped praying for is motivation, and what I've started praying for is a resolve. To make a decision that even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to follow through. So when I don't feel like reading the Bible, I'm still going to do it. Because I want to build a good relationship with God, and I, I long for that freedom. Even though I don't feel like quitting this addiction, I actually am going to say no with the power of the Holy Spirit because I want freedom and that's what Jesus came to die for and to live for so that I can be free from those enslaving addictions. Jesus came to set us free. Freedom from the fear of death. He came to give us a new identity so that we are no longer slaves. He came to set us free from temptation and give us power and authority over temptation and freedom from addiction. You know, he also came to set us free from past failures. I watch so many people who are Christians and they truly do love God, but they can't let go of their past. And they allow shame and guilt to hold them back from what God wants to do in their lives. And they miss out on living life to the full because they're so caught in shame. You know what? Your past does not define you anymore. When you come to Jesus, you are a child of God. You are made new. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are wiped. And you are made holy, sanctified, and set apart for holy purposes that God wants to do in your life. He has great things in store for you. But so many times we miss out on them because we think we're not good enough. You know what? We're not. We're not good enough. But Jesus doesn't care. When we have a relationship with him, he's cleansed us. And he says, let's do this together. Let's walk it out together. But it starts by abiding. Starts by remaining. Starts by soaking in the word. Getting to know Jesus. Falling deeply in love with him. Because then we'll know the truth. And the truth will set us free. You know, this evening, I don't want you to feel guilt or shame or um, like it's a check mark to get into the word. Because it's not about being a good Christian. You know, I read my Bible every day for, man, I don't even know, over a decade trying to be a good Christian. It was all about rules and regulations for me. I was a very legalistic person back in the day. And it's not about that. It's not about being a good Christian. It's about falling in love with the person who created you, the person who loves you, 
the person who died for you, rose again for you, has an incredible plan for your life. It's about getting to know Jesus. It's about getting to know the truth and experience the freedom that he wants to give you. So this evening, if you want to stand, I, I, I want to pray with you guys tonight. And first off, maybe you're here tonight and you don't actually know Jesus, but you're like, I want to have a relationship with him. I want to know him. I want to know this freedom that he, want, he has given us. And if that's you, with every head bowed, I'd love to just pray with you. If you could raise your hand, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus tonight, if that's you. And if you're thinking, ah, I'm not sure. You know, it's really simple, and it's not about words, but it's about saying, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for dying on this, the cross for my sins and for rising again. And I pray that you would forgive me, come into my life, and help me to live for you. It's super simple. And if, if you want to make that decision tonight or another time, you know, we'd encourage you, please talk to us because we want to help you in that as you, uh, as you grow in your relationship with God. And for the rest of you, maybe tonight you're saying, okay, I need prayer to actually make a resolve to get into the word. Is anybody like, I need to abide in the word and I haven't been? Awesome, I wanna pray for you guys. And maybe some of you also are here and you're saying, I know Jesus, but I'm living like a slave instead of like a son or a daughter. Maybe you need freedom from the fear of death. Maybe you need to cling to your new identity in Jesus and you need resolve for that. Maybe you need victory over temptation or addiction or from past failures. If you need freedom tonight, I'd encourage you to put up your hand because I want to pray for you as well. If you need freedom from some of these things, amen. Lord, we come before you and Jesus, we, we just thank you. <laughs> we, we don't deserve life. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your forgiveness. And yet you give it great in such abundance. And so Lord, we come to you tonight and I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would empower them with your Holy Spirit to actually go out with resolve. And even when they don't feel like it, that they would abide in your word, that they would soak in it and remain in it, think about it, dwell on it, meditate on it, that they would eat it in a sense and that they would get wrinkly that your words would affect their lives because they have a resolve to spend time with you. And Jesus, as they do, I pray that they would fall in love with you in a new way that you would reveal yourself to them in such a beautiful, new and exciting way. Lord, we can't rely on our revelation from yesterday. We need fresh revelation today. Lord, I need fresh revelation today. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters as well who, are, who feel like they're just still living like a slave, Father, I pray freedom over them. Holy Spirit, that you would set them free because that's why you came. Jesus was to set us free from the consequences of sin. And so I pray freedom that they would be able to say no when temptation comes, that they would make a resolve to say no to addiction and practice righteousness. Father, I pray any past failures that are heaping shame and guilt on, that it would be gone in Jesus' name. That people would walk out free today as your child. 
And Lord, that we would walk out of here and that we would declare, I'm a child of the most high God. Nothing else defines me except my relationship with him. So Father, we love you and we thank you. I just pray your freedom to go with us and over us tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Awesome. Go in freedom and enjoy your relationship with the Lord.